Chapman, the enchanting flute. Though he had only reached the age of twelve, such was Krishna's grace and beauty that none could resist him. He is one who can arouse the desire of the world. How then could those poor gopis of Vrindavan resist him? They did not even try. They had fondled him as a baby, kissed him as a toddler, played with him as a child, and now he stood before them, the epitome of all that a man, the true Purusha, should be. Like the Yamuna flowing towards her goal, the ocean, so their hearts flowed towards their Lord. Their minds were untutored, their intellects poor, but their hearts were large and full of love, and burst and flowed towards him in a never-ending stream, following him wherever he went. Each morning as he left the gopis to the forest with the cows, the poor girls could hardly contain themselves till the evening when he returned. They could not concentrate on their daily tasks. They could not think of anything else but him. They grudged every minute he spent away from them and waited only for the moment when they could see the tip of the peacock feather adorning his hair in the far distance. Then they would forget their fatigue and loneliness and rush towards him to welcome him and throng around him till it was time for him to go home. During the day they would picture him standing beneath the spreading branches of a tree, perhaps leaning slightly on the trunk, with one leg crossed over the other in a dancer's pose, and playing a divine melody on the flute, placed close to his lips. The melody was a chord infinite to the finite, and it awoke the chords in even the most sluggish hearts, and made them yearn for union with the infinite, which is the hidden desire of every heart. This yearning is present in every human, but sometimes we are too engrossed to the world, or too poor of understanding to know what it is. All we know is that we are incomplete in and inadequate as we are, but our ignorance is that will make us complete. Sometimes a touch, a glance, or a word spoken by some great sage, is enough to unloosen our bonds and open our hearts and eyes, and our hearts leap forward to meet its maker. Confinement to finitude is unbearable to the human being. He craves for nothing short of infinity and eternity. The, the whole of the fine world moves and progresses towards this infinity, and until it reaches there, it will remain unsatisfied. All the baubles offered by the material world fail to satisfy because they are themselves products of finitude and impermanent by nature. As Krishna played his divine melody, the entire aspect of the forest changed. The birds flying in the air to listen, the animals moved closer to him, and even the Yamuna is said to have stopped her flow to listen to the enchanting music. All moving things became immobilized, and the immovables like the stones and rocks started to melt and flow. Such was the bewitching power of his music. Even the rocks could not withstand the eager, enticing call to the life divine, for he is Manamohana, 
the one who arouses the desire of all minds. Awake, awake, O sleeping soul, he seemed to be saying, and come to me, O Lord. Why do you slumber when I am here, ready to play the dance of eternal life with you? Wake up, O sluggish mind. Wake, O stony heart. Come to me, the divine beloved. I will make you experience of bliss. Without understanding this truth, it would be impossible to understand how a child of twelve could so entice grown women that they forgot every fidelity for which Indian women are renowned and ran after him, regardless of consequences. Even the hearts of the wicked, hard as granite, melted at the call of the divine flute. What wonder then that the gobies, who had already given their minds to him as a baby, should quiver and burn with an indescribable longing to have him as their husband. They were not sages, they were not yogis, they knew nothing of philosophy or metaphysics. All they knew was that he was a man, and they were women, and they longed with every fibre of their being to have him as their lover. Because there was invested in him, who was the beloved of the universe, Though carnal in nature at first, it became transformed into something wonderful and indescribable. As they sat in their huts, listening to the melodious strains of the flute coming from the forest, they thought to themselves, the supreme fulfillment of having eyes is to be able to drink the beauty of his face as he stands playing the forest. How fortunate are the trees, flowers, and animals of this forest to be able to enjoy this bliss at close quarters and see his beguiling form in front of them, while we unlucky ones are confined to this cage and unable to go. What meritorious deed has this little flute done in order to have the privilege of imbibing the pure honey of his lips without any action? Will that flute ever leave something for us? Will we ever be able to taste the honey of his lips one day? How lucky are the deer who nestle close to him and nudge him as he plays. How lucky are the calves who stand pinned to the spot, forgetting even to swallow the milk and eat the grass in their mouths, fixing their gaze on him as if they would drink him, drink him in through their eyes. Surely the birds of this forest must be sages in disguise, for see how they have perched themselves in the branches above his head, and are listening enthralled to the strains of his melody. See the Yamuna, how she brings lotus flowers as offerings, and places them at his feet. Even the clouds stop their wanderings, and send a mild spray of water over his head like a benediction. Surely the hill must be the luckiest of all, for it has got the great privilege of enjoying the contact of his feet and of offering him all the delicacies he enjoys, like fruits, canes, tubers, and nuts. Thus the gobies spent their days constantly thinking of him and waiting for his arrival in the evening. Day by day their minds were more closely bounded to him. So that state was that of meditating yogis. 
At the beginning of the winter season, the young maidens decided to take a forty-one day vow in connection with the worship of Karthiyani, the goddess, in order to procure Krishna as their lover. Every day these young girls would wake up at three in the morning and go to the river Kalindi in the bitter cold where they would take their baths at sunrise. There on the banks they would install an image of the goddess made out of sand and worship her with sandal paste, garlands, incense, lamps, fruits and food offerings. O Devi, thou mighty cosmic power, and mistress of all, deign to make the son of Nanda my husband. Repeating this mantra, these maidens of Gokula worship the God one full month, regardless of bodily hardships, with their minds fixed on Krishna, praying that they might procure him as their husband. On the final day of their vow, they deposited their clothes on the river banks as usual, and sported joyously in the water, singing songs about their Lord. It was still very early in the morning, and the pearly mists of dawn were enshrouding the surrounding forest. While they were thus playing happily in the river, they suddenly they saw the object of their desire, standing on the banks, looking like the incarnation of the God of love, smiling teasingly at them. They became aware of their nakedness, and covered their faces with their hands, and looked shyly at him through their fingers. Krishna smiled, for he realized that they were not yet completely pure. He decided to help them to get rid of the last traces of their ego. They had lost their sense of possessiveness regarding property, wealth and relations, but they still had to lose their body consciousness. This was the final barrier keeping them from the fulfillment of their desire. The sense of shame comes only when we are faced with another, and God is not another. He is our very self. What is the need for modesty when we are faced with ourselves? Unless this point is clearly understood, we cannot aspire to union with God. In order to make them realize this, Krishna collected their clothes lying on the banks in heaps and quickly climbed up the Kadamba tree nearby and said to the maidens teasingly, Come on, girls, come and get your clothes. Taken aback by these words of their hero, they shivered neck deep in the water and begged him to return their clothes. The Lord replied, If you are indeed my handmaidens, as you say, then do as I tell you. Come out of the water one by one and accept your clothes. Don't you know that is a violation of a vow to bathe nude in the waters? Come forward and prostrate before me, and thus you will be pardoned for this transgression. Hearing the, this, the gopis threw off their ears like snakes shedding their skins and walked forward one by one with hands outstretched and eyes fixed on him and in his eyes they saw mirrored their own selves. One by one they got back their clothes, and stood before him with folded palms and bowed heads, waiting for his next command. The Lord had tested them to the outer limit, and they had passed with ease. Theirs were stolen. They were told that it is against the rules to bathe nude in the water, 
They were forced to abandon their sense of shame and go naked to receive their clothes. They were treated like puppets and made to salute and prostrate. In spite of all this, they felt not the slightest resentment. Totally divorced of ego, immersing their minds only in him, the divine object of their passion, they were fit to receive the final benediction of consorting. The Lord, knowing what was in their minds, had gone there with the express purpose of fulfilling their desires. And so he told them, Having cast off the last traces of your ego, you are now ready to receive me as your husband, in the true meaning of the word. Passion directed towards me will not end in sensual enjoyment. Human love is only a shadow of divine love. Who would be happy to remain in the dark can enjoy the glory of the sun? Who would be happy with the mere fragrance when they can have the whole flower? That is what I am offering you now, the flower of divine love which will lead you to eternal bliss. Your names will go down in history as the luckiest of all womankind. You are indeed blessed, for you have discovered the secret of divine love which will end in liberation from this cycle of and death. Sensual love is the common experience of all human beings, but bhakti or divine love leading to mukti or liberation is experienced only by a few rare souls who have prayed and meditated for many years and undertaken many austerities. But you girls at the end of a mere forty-one-day vow have been blessed, for you are being offered that which many yogis gain only after years of struggle. You are all paragons of virtue. Do thou go back to Vraja, the object with which you have observed this worship of the goddess, will before long be fulfilled. You will sport with me on the moonlit banks of the Yamuna in the autumn. Hearing these words of their beloved, their cup of happiness is full, and slowly with dragging footsteps and many backward glances, they wended their way home. The remainder of the time before the consummation of their desire, the gobi spent in prayer and meditation, so that when the time came, they were perfect, pure and shining. They had already attained the stage of the avadhuda, or the sage who wanders about naked. For clothes symbolize the attachment to false values, beginning with the body. The gobi attained this state, and were fit to receive the Lord as their own. One day, while wandering in the woods with the Gopalas, the Lord said to them, How noble are the trees! They live entirely for the sake of others. They bear the wind, rain, heat and sleet, but protect us from them. How covetable is a birth like that, providing sustenance to all beings. They fulfill the wants of all creatures with their flowers, fruits, roots and tubers. People take shelter beneath them, and finally they give up their very lives to provide man with fuel. Man's life in this world is meaningful only to the extent that his energies, wealth and intelligence are utilized for the good of others. Thus to each according to his needs and his capacity, the Lord taught these boys and girls who were devoted to One day the boys had finished eating all the food they had brought from their homes and were still hungry 
so they begged Krishna to procure some food for them. In order to meet their demands, as well as to bless the wives of certain Brahmins who were performing yetnyas or fire sacrifices, as enjoined in the Vedas, in the neighborhood of the forest, Krishna asked the boys to go and beg for some food for him, for it was incumbent on them to feed the hungry. So the boys ran off and begged for food from those learned Brahmins who were well versed in the Vedas. Pretending that they had not heard, the learned ones continued to chant mantras, deaf to the needs of the hungry boys outside, for they were confirmed ritualists, blind to the inner meaning behind the Vedic mantras. The disappointees returned with tears in their eyes, and Krishna comforted them. Never mind, he said. Such behavior is only to be expected from those who have only heads and no hearts. They may be full of learning, but their hearts are barren, and they know not the meaning of love, out of which alone kindness can flow. But don't lose heart. Go and inform their wives that I and my brother are waiting here, and they will give you whatever you need, for they have great love for me. So once again the boys went, and this time they were welcomed with great love by those pious ladies who had been hoping to have a glimpse of the child Krishna from the time they had heard of him. And though they were reprimanded by their menfolk, they rushed to meet him, carrying with them all types of delicacies. There was one woman, however, who had been sternly debarred from going and whose husband had locked her up though her heart was brimming with love for the Lord. So great was her longing to join him that her spirit left its mortal cage and merged in him even before the others reached him. It is said that the Lord had sent the boys on this particular mission only in order to bless her. The others ran to him, and when they saw him, blue-complexioned, wearing a golden-colored and decorated with a garland of wild flowers, a peacock feather in his hair, twirling a lotus in one hand, and resting the other on the shoulder of a friend. They felt their hearts filled with joy, and they prostrated before him, and laid the feast in front of him. The Lord, knowing their devotion, accepted the offerings, and told them to return to their husbands. They were terrified of going back, said, there is no chance of our husbands accepting us, since we have mortally offended them by coming here. It behoves thee to deal with us, for we have offered ourselves, body, mind and spirit, at thy feet. We do not desire any other way of life than thy service in the future. Pray, do not forsake us. The Lord said, You will not be blamed by your husbands, brothers or sons, for coming to me. Physical contact is not needed for the growth and fulfillment of spiritual love. Keep your mind fixed on me always and you will surely attain to me before long. So the ladies returned with tardy steps and were surprised to find that their husbands had repented of their folly and welcomed them back cordially. They realized that it was only to bless them that the universe had come to beg for some food. What irony! He whom they were worshipping through the Yetnya had himself come to them in the guise of a Gopala, 
and they had sent him away. But even now, though the realization came to them, they desisted from going to him for fear of the king Kamsa. Thus ends the seventh chapter of Sri Krishna Leela, named the Enchant Flute. Hari Om Tatsad. Do you